0: So as we come to Genesis chapter 6 tonight, we come forth from chapter 4 and 5 with the two lines of humanity that existed from the dawn of creation till uh, 1586, I believe it was the time of the flood, so plot my little safety cheat sheet here, 1656 is the year of the flood from the dawn of creation, so 1600 years, 1656 years from the dawn of creation to the flood. And we talked about the line of Adam last week and two weeks before that when Cain took his younger brother Abel's life. The text goes into the line of Cain and his descendants and the world they built as fallen superhumans. And then chapter 5 goes into the genealogy of Adam and the world that they built as descendants of faith. Because Seth was a replacement for the promised Messiah and Promised back in genesis three fifteen that a messiah would come the deliverer of course is jesus christ and so all genealogies for jesus christ go through seth back to adam and because he's the head of our race adam and jesus is the second adam and then we know through seth they keep going to noah and from noah his three sons shem ham and japheth all the table of nations all the people of the world come through those three descendants and we know that israel comes through shem and from uh, shem comes abraham about 500 years after the flood and from abraham comes isaac and jacob jacob's name changed to israel then the 12 sons of jacob are the 12 tribes of israel and the tribe of judah the Messiah's promised and from the tribe of judah from the house of david the Messiah's promised and so when jesus comes into the world to redeem the world from our sin and the consequence of death he comes in fulfillment of that genealogy so all throughout the old testament from genesis all the way till the time of christ these genealogies, these These genealogies are super important because they preserve that line that shows how Christ is the promised redeemer from Genesis 3.15 after the fall with Adam through Seth. But they also show us the history of humanity. And in the primeval world, the pre-flood world, we had a different environment. Of course, human beings lived much longer. The cell structure, the health of the human bodies, the health of the environment, falling from perfection was a slow degeneration, although entropy entered the universe, the entire universe from the microscopic to the telescopic, and those things are still in effect to this day while all creation, the body of Christ, the universe groans for the redemption of all things that will come with Jesus Christ in his second coming. But as we pick it up tonight in chapter six, we get to the days of Noah, and it's interesting because Jesus talked about his return being like the days of Noah. So that gives us a little bit background what Jesus would say Jesus talked about Abel and we know that Enoch walked with God we looked at that last week and so now we get to Noah one of the most famous people in the Bible and we're going to go through chapter 6 tonight so we pick it up in verse 1 and as we go through this first part we are going to get verses 1 through 8 and they're very interesting and we're going to break them down now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man of the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, before we get into the different things that this text presents to us and different perspectives that different people have, it is worth noting something that really stood out to me in focusing on this passage for tonight is the lord himself you go back to the dawn of creation when god created everything in genesis chapter one and it was good in fact it was very good It reflected his character in genesis two when he brought eve from the man to the man on that sixth day again it was good it was very good and before the fall in genesis chapter three There was a time within our time, as we know time in this dimension, where everything was very good, where they were naked and unashamed, the superhumans, Adam and Eve, the head of our race, they had not reproduced yet, but there was at least a honeymoon, and it was beautiful, and it was good. All the animals were herbivores, Adam and Eve were herbivores, if you will, vegan, okay? And in fact, we read that their desire would be for the fruits the plants themselves god put a desire in them to desire the plants and the fruit for food that it was appealing to the eye the plants literally their sustenance for physical sustenance and then we know there weren't weather systems but a mist went over the entire planet in this eco-friendly world that they lived in but that's coming to an end and from that fall in genesis 3 where adam and eve tried to cover their sin and their nakedness with the fig leaves with the that which is of the earth God provided a substitute sacrifice for them and he executed an animal of some sort, probably a lamb, but a sacrifice, the just for the unjust, in a type of what would come when Jesus came on the cross. He covered their nakedness and he expelled them. They were evicted from the garden. And then we know in chapter 4, Abel understood the concept of faith and blood as a sacrifice on his behalf for his sins because the New Testament interprets that for us in Hebrews 11. And Jesus himself talked about the righteous blood of Abel that came down on the generation of Israel that rejected Jesus. So we know these things are in place. So now as we understand the heart of God, and because God made men and women self-determined, and God was motivated by love because God is love, and love always has a choice. And in that free will and choice of self-determination, God chose to love and he chose to create. And he created men and women in his image for his glory, for relationship for a loving relationship between creator and created and it was beautiful and then he gave the two genders a horizontal loving relationship between each other as a type in the old testament with israel of the husband and the wife and as a type of jesus and the church in the new testament as the husband and the bride so that types there going back to genesis chapter 2 and particularly being fulfilled even this night as we're gathered as the church of Jesus Christ under his authority, the preeminent one in his church. We are the bride of Christ waiting for his return, and he is the groom. This is beautiful. But that Cain world unfolded in chapter 4 where these superhumans, the descendants of Cain, began to populate and multiply on the earth, and they cast off all of God's word, God's restraints that were to their benefit, and they didn't love the Lord but in fact, they rejected his rule over them, and which you see with Cain killing Abel. Because God said to Cain, if you do what's right, will not good happen. But he said, if you don't, sin's at your door. And Cain rejected that exhortation from the Lord to do things the right way by God's way. And he rejected the government of God over his life. And then he raised a whole world of descendants who also did the same. And so 1,600 plus years go by. And Enoch is the seventh from Adam, And we talked about this where they shared the planet. We looked at that chart last week that all these descendants from chapter 5, the godly line through Seth, they were sharing the planet at the same time. And then Enoch walked with God, and then God took him. And then Noah was born around 1,000 after creation. And as he was born and came into the world, Methuselah was alive, who had died the year of the flood, the oldest man recorded in the Bible for us. And God's outside of this dimension, watching this dimension, and this covenant's in place that existed then. And he's there watching it. And here in this text, we read about the Lord in verse 3, that the Lord said, the Lord said, he spoke. The Lord is speaking. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the coming of the Son of Man. And here, it says the Lord spoke. So we need to think about what he said about this generation before the flood, which would be somewhat applicable for our generation before the return of the Lord. Because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the coming of the Son of Man. The Lord spoke and he said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. Or can mean even abide in the Hebrew. And if he's abiding with men, it is in strife because... The thoughts and tents were continually evil. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, there's only a couple different ways to look at this phrase, 120 years. Either it's 120 years on the countdown for the flood, Noah building an ark during this time, and there's a countdown of 120 years for this primeval world and these superhumans to live before the judgment comes. Or it could be a reference that really speaking forward, in a post-flood world, after the flood, the ice age, and the world that Abraham emerges from about 500 years after the ark, the exit from the ark, is people generally live much shorter, and they live about 120 years. If you know your Bible, you know Moses lived 120 years, and Joseph, the patriarch, you know, the son, the son of Jacob, he lived 110. So the age line tapers off quite a bit. Whether it's 120 years till the flood, or, to the benefit of humanity, evil people can only live 120 years. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, could you imagine if Stalin, or Hitler, or Pol Pot, or Karl Marx, uh, Trotsky, and these people, Lenin, if they could have lived for centuries? What type of... Well, Jesus himself said this about the last days. Unless those days had been short to the say, no flesh would make it. And I've said this for years. Do not overestimate good in humanity and don't underestimate evil and i don't say that of pessimism but of realism because the bible says the thoughts and tents of the heart of men are deceitfully wicked and who can know them so the first thing we see god saying is he's not going to always strive with men which is a good application he's not going to always strive with individuals he'll he'll pull back from somebody he'll pull back if someone's determined to Resist the lord he'll pull back if a nation does not want god ruling over them he'll he'll let them go their way we are self-determined as individuals we are self-determined in our homes we are self-determined in our tribes and we are self-determined in ethnic ethnicities we are self-determined in our ethnicities in what our tribe if you will goes for and Certain nations will accept certain things over them and certain nations won't. For example, how do you explain Japan having all those missionaries for hundreds of years and less than 1% of Japan is considered Christian to this day, including all the Christian cults? Whereas one missionary from China passing through Korea around the turn of 1900 spent two weeks teaching through the Bible at a base in Korea, a mission base, and it caught root and took fire, and from that came all these revivals later on, and now Korea, South Korea, is is one of the most powerful Christian nations in the world, with one of the most godly influences in the world for our Church of Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the Koreans were picked on and always caught in the middle between the Chinese and the Japanese, going back and forth trying to rule over each other. If you know your recent history, why did Korea receive the gospel and the Japanese not so much? Now, there are people that believe the gospel in Japan. There's no mistake about it in your church history, but a lot more of them received it in Korea. And Korea is sending out missionaries all over the world, whereas Japan is sending out very few. Why is that? Who's sufficient to know such things? But God will not always strive. He's going to have people from every tongue, tribe, and nation before his throne in eternity, but he's not going to always strive with different nations. And if nations want to make laws that rule him out of public life and the marketplace of thought and intelligent thoughts being exchanged and freedom of religion and freedom of speech and freedom of thought he'll let them run that course. If the land of Lutheran reformation thinks that they're a superior race to all humanity, and they're going to follow a madman like Hitler, and his policies of extermination and embracing the eugenic philosophies that he had, and devaluation of life from emphasize to special needs, then to euthanasia of undesirables, to certain people groups that are undesirable and the death camps and then just pretty much that they don't like, they put them in the death camps. If you want to go that route in Germany back in the 30s into the 40s, you can go that route. But it all comes back to the individual. His spirit will not always strive with man. We see in the Bible where through the prophet Ezekiel, God said, you tell them the truth and if they reject it, the blood's on them, but it's not on you. But if you withhold, then it's on you. Paul the Apostle said to the Ephesian elders, I've not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God, and I'm free of the blood of all men. So we're all gonna stand or fall on our own determination, and if we are responsive to the Lord in the little things, we will be given the opportunity to be responsive to the Lord in the bigger things. For to him who has, to her who has what? More will be given. But his spirit's not gonna always really strive with men. So when we think about people we love that are fighting the Lord, we need to stand in the gap, like God said through Ezekiel, I look for someone to stand in the gap, and we want to be the people that stand in the gap for other people that we love and maybe even don't love us or that we hate, and maybe they hate us back. But we want to stand in the gap. We want to be people in the last days, if we are, in fact, in the last days, and e- either way, these are our days, and we want to be men and women who stand in the gap. His spirit will not always strive with men, but if we would give up on someone, who would, who would, we, who would we be to know? So we want to just keep praying and just keep petitioning the Lord for those people till our breath is done and we're off this planet in a different dimension. The second thing the Lord says is in verse 5. The, the second thing about the Lord. In verse 5 it says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man that was great in all the earth. The Lord sees everything. There's nothing hidden from the Lord. He sees we think, oh, how long, O Lord? You go back to the nation of Israel when they're in Egypt, and they're crying out to the Lord. And how long, O Lord, as they're under the oppression of Pharaoh? God's already moving over here through Moses and his brother Aaron, and they're coming. The people are like, how long? How long? There is nothing. There are no injustices, and I say this many times, that are not straightened out in eternity. There is not one injustice in the next dimension where we're all going to go. There's lots of injustices this side. Sometimes my mind thinks about all the injustices that I've seen in my timeline of various sorts upon various people and various things and the evil that's followed those injustices. People who have the power of law but put themselves above the law and are corrupt with the law. But that's not for me to worry about. But he sees it. Jesus said that there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And since we're going to even account for every idle word, we can be sure that the Lord sees everything. If the Lord saw everything leading up to the flood and the judgment of all humanity, we can be sure he sees everything going on on this planet, all the plottings of the devil in the demonic realm, all the devising and conniving of evil men and women in positions of power, politically all the blasphemous thoughts all the blasphemous things spoken against our lord of ungodly men as we saw from jude quoting jude last week the book of jude concerning enoch and what enoch's message was as preserved for us in the book of jude what his message was the lord sees he sees all the wickedness and the, he sees the thoughts and the intents of the heart david said in psalm 139 who can know but the lord knows So we invite the Lord to search our heart. But the Lord sees. And then in verse 6, it says, The Lord was sorry he made man. That is a very heavy phrase if we meditate. That's a very heavy phrase if we meditate upon that for a moment. The Lord was sorry he made man which leads me to think in many cases there are brilliant men and women incredible women and men who have lived in human history on different timelines who did not use their greatness for his glory and I'm quite certain as a father with his children when children make bad decisions that the Lord was sorry that he made them sometimes I think about men who were had huge IQs and or women that had huge IQs, and they fought the Lord with those things. Or incredible leadership skills, but they were used for evil. I think of Margaret Sanger from Planned Parenthood. She was openly racist. I'm sure many, most of you know that, the founder of Planned Parenthood. She hated black people, and she was eugenicist. She believed that uh, in a purer race, much like Hitler and the Nazis and the Nazi eugenicist in trying to breed a better, higher quality of human being eliminate all lower forms of human beings, because of course they were Darwinists and Marxism fit right into their fascism as it did Stalin's communism. But Margaret Sanger was an incredible leader in mobilizing, tapping into the women's suffrage movement and their rights. She piggybacked the emphasize into a val- what was a valid right for women's equal rights. She piggybacked, emphasize into it. And it took off. And to this day, when you see all this militantism of Planned Parenthood and the billions of dollars our government pays to kill these babies, that poison goes back to Margaret Sanger. She was a brilliant woman. She committed mass genocide against black people in the United States for decades. And she was brilliant with her racism and what she did. What if she had had those organizational skills set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, she shared the planet with Amy Carmichael. Look what she did to save children in India. What if Margaret Sanger and all those skills were used to save children? You just don't know. And to this day, when you see the hostility, and by the way, all those doctors say, how could they perform these things and do these things because they're supposed to save life? In their mind, they're just just like eugenicists. They just think they're making the world a better place and preserving a better race for the next generation. They don't think any different than the Nazi doctors that were at the death camps in Auschwitz and other places. And I speak the truth. I speak the truth. So don't underestimate and discount what I'm saying. The Lord sees all wickedness and he knows. There is nothing hidden that won't be revealed. And he was sad. He was sad. Which brings up a good point. I don't want the Lord sorry that he made my life and you don't want the Lord sorry he made your life and you definitely want him sad that he made your life and he's working in your life. You don't want him sad that he gave you the great skills that he's given you for his purposes. You don't want him sad that your mouth would speak against him and of for him. We don't want to make the Lord sad. We want to bring him joy. Like Job chapter 1. You consider my servant Job, how he's a just and upright man and there's no iniquity found in him. That's who we want to be. Or how about Mary? Blessed are you, O servant of the Lord. You've found favor. That's who we want to be. God forbid we'd be the people that make God sad. The Lord sad. And then verse 8 says, excuse me, verse 7. And the Lord, sa- the Lord was sorry. And then verse 7 says, so the Lord said, I will destroy man. You know, we can get into the giants and the sons of God and the daughters of men, but you could miss the whole point of these verses, which is that the, the, the perspective of heaven outside our realm looking upon this generation and what the Lord, what we see. He said, his spirit will not always strive with men. He saw the wickedness in the land and the thoughts and the intents. He was sorry he made man and he was grieved in his heart. And then the Lord said, I will destroy him for I'm sorry I've made them. If you can find darker verses in the Bible in the sense of how far reaching human behavior is to the throne of God, please feel free to show them to me. Because God shows so much mercy and so much grace on so many stories in the Bible, it's incredible. But this was the end of the superhuman race, except as always, like every chapter we've seen the difficult stuff so far, three and four, there's something really good in it. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if you get nothing more out of this Bible study tonight, walking out these doors, you walk out these doors and know that you have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The grace that God shows us through his Lord and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By grace, we have been saved that through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Man, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and don't we wake up thanking Jesus this day that we find grace in the eyes of the Lord? And He's put in our heart that we want to be at church, doing sound, leading worship, handing out bulletins, whatever it is we're doing, making time to come to church on a Tuesday night when there's a lot of things your flesh could do otherwise. Just 2019, you could have them deliver weed to your door if you wanted to. But you have found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and you're in the house of the Lord and we're singing songs about the Lord and growing in our faith with the Lord. Now, the sons of God and the daughters of men. Very interesting passage. There are essentially a couple different views about what was going on here at the end of this primeval world, this 1,600-plus years. There is a view that fallen angels had a physical form and had sexual relations with daughters of men, and produce a hybrid creature which produced giants, the the Nephilim, or also called the Anakin later on in the Pentateuch books after the flood. There's a view similar to that where demons possessed men and had like a demon spirit over these beings with sexual relations. So they're still human beings, but there's a demonic influence in the offspring. There's another view where the sons of God are the descendants of Seth, the godly line, and they compromised, and they went into unequally yoked relationships with the daughters of Cain and produced, polluted the entire race, if you will. Because, of course, we know the Bible says uh, bad company corrupts good morals. Like, you throw the white glove in the mud, the white glove doesn't make the mud white, the mud makes the white glove mud. Okay, that's a proven principle in Scripture. That's what's so beautiful about Jesus. A leper touches someone else, they defile him. That's what we do. But Jesus touches a leper, and he heals him. And then the last view is, they're just whatever's left of humanity. It's talking about humanity, and it's just human beings compromising and just a completely ungodly human race with no redemptive element left in it. So those are the four possibilities. Angels, sexual relation, human beings possessed by angel sexual relationship, sons of Seth, the godly line, sexual relationship with those that are not godly, or just humanity and humanity, and it's all gone bad. Those are essentially the four views that you have. Now, I personally uh, would lean toward the Seth one, because I, I'll tell you why. The key phrase is the sons of God, right? It says in verse here, verse 1, that men multiplied on the face of the earth, which you are supposed to do, And the daughters were born to them, and that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, all whom they chose. That sounds more like America, actually. Just whatever you want, take it. We already saw that with the descendants of Cain, that the one descendant of Cain is like, hey, you know, like, why would I wait for God to give me a wife? I can go take two of my wives, kill someone who offended me, and just tell my wives, hey, look at me, I'm a victim. We saw that back in chapter four. The phrase sons of God is a phrase used for angels. It's used for Satan sons of god is used for satan in the book of job there's no question about that when the devil comes before god he has access and he's accusing job and we know it's the devil the bible interprets itself so in that sense we know they're sons of god and because of that are fallen angels at least in that context that's where people get the basis for saying well these are fallen angels they match up a couple other verses like second peter where it says that they left their abode that They could have left their boat under any circumstances. I mean, they have anything to do with this, but when you start to build something in a theology or whatever, you can do that. But that's a fact. So there would be a reason to come to that if that was the only thing. But remember, we're told Adam is a son of God. In Luke's gospel, the genealogy, the last title for, Luke, for Adam is the son of God. Now we know Jesus is the Son of God, right? But you know we're called Sons of God? No less than four times in the New Testament we're called the Sons of God. So which Sons of God is it? Is it fallen angels called Sons of God? Is it Adam called the Son of God? It's certainly not Jesus called the Son of God. Human beings are called the Sons of God. Redeemed human beings are called the Sons of God in the New Testament. Like I said, no less than four times. So... Saying that it's fallen angels because of Job, if that was just it, that would maybe have a little more credence, but that's not just it. You can argue from Luke's gospel and the genealogy that the godly line were referred to as the sons of God. Even as the believers that are born again, men and women are called, as men are called the bride of Christ, so too the women are called the sons of God in the New Testament. The gender works both ways as being followers of Christ. That's something to point out. Now, for me personally, well, I don't think it's angels. Apart from the fact, and maybe you believe that, and that's fine, because there's really smart people that do believe that. Okay, so it's not that big of an issue. But as long as we're here, there's the one time I'm going to address it. The reason I don't believe it's fallen angels, and I, of course Jesus said that they're like angels in heaven, and they're, they don't have a gender that are reproduced, But he doesn't say that about fallen angels, and that's a good point. That's, you know, and we know angels come to earth, and they take on human form. We know that that's that's all throughout the Bible. We see that, but of course they transcend dimensions too, right? I mean, they're there, and then you know, uh, Samson's parents will offer up the offering to the fire, and then the angel goes up and like, oh, there he went, you know. So they might have earthly bodies, like the angels that came to Abraham in the tent in front of in the midday there in Genesis 19. But we have no clear record saying that demonic spirits can take on human bodies and have sexual relations with human beings. And the biggest problem I have with that is having to study the first five chapters of Genesis that God made each thing after its own kind. You don't get dats and you don't get cogs. You never have a dog and a cat make a half-breed. You never have a giraffe and a rhinoceros make a half-breed. In God's order and cellular molecular structure, there's each is after its own kind. You get variations within the kind, but you never get a hybrid kind. We can't make our cat Max have a new species with one of our with our dog Lilo. It's not possible. God's made it that way, and in the history of humanity, no two breeds have ever been that way. Now you can hybrid plants in a, a better tangerine and a better apple and things like that. And the Nazis, with eugenics, tried to make a higher quality of human being as they define them. And you can definitely have good breeding and bad breeding with dogs. If you're looking for a certain purebred of dog, and you look at species, they'll say boxers have weak hearts, and there's a reason breeders would kill white boxers, because they're generally weaker than the normal boxers. So up until recently, boxer breeders would kill the white boxers when they had them. They usually have one and four or five in a litter. We had two in our litter of eight. And we kept Buster with the weak heart, and he died at the age of five. You have Cavaliers, King Charles Cavaliers. There's, they, certain poorly bred Cavaliers have certain tendencies, but they are always dogs. A great din and chihuahua are still dogs. You never have dats and cogs. So if you never have that and God's, everything's good, I just find it hard to believe that God allowed angels to reproduce with human beings. And this is the only verse that would tell us that. I think something that important, that there's a whole other race that was on this planet, I think something that important is gonna be made much more clear than the, this passage that can be interpreted other ways. So I just don't think it's in the nature of God to allow that. If he did, he did. I'm not gonna hang my salvation on it, but I just, I just don't think it's consistent with the nature of God. Now, there are giants, so people say, all right, so angels, you know, and people, and they had these superhuman giants. Well, you know, I don't think the giants have anything to do with fallen angels. If that were true, it could be true, but it doesn't have to be true. There are giants before the flood, and there are giants after the flood. Do you realize that? Now, the description of Goliath, based upon cubits, is that he was about 10 feet tall. So he's not the jolly green giant, like did the commercials back in the 60s, right? For Jolly Green Giant Vegetables and all that stuff, if you remember. But 10 feet's pretty tall. Alex, who plays bass here from Vero Beach when they visit, he got a picture with that guy from UCF, University of Central Florida, the center. I can't remember his name right now. I played in the NCAA. He's like seven six. Alex looks like the littlest human being next to this guy, and that's seven six. Manute Bull was 7'6". is 7'2 was Shaquille O'Neal. You add another yard to Shaquille O'Neal, that is a big human being, okay? And I've said this before. We had really big reptiles at the dawn of creation, and we have smaller reptiles. We had really big woolly mammoths, and now we can have some little teeny elephants in India. We had saber-toothed tigers, and now we have, you know, jaguars or whatever, like, there's a degeneration. And we know when Joshua defeated on the eastern side of the Jordan River, he defeated Sihon and Og, and they were giants, and they scared people. We also know when Joshua and Caleb came back from spying out the land there, that when they came back from spying out the land, that people said, there's giants, the other reports. But Caleb is at 86 years of age. He's like, man, where are they? Let's, let's uh, I'm going to whack those giants, man. He's like, he's like a forerunner to David like 400 years before David. like, giants? What giants, man? I'm as strong now as I was 39 years ago, man. That's my land. I pictured it for 39 years on the death march with all these unbelievers. I'm going to go get my land. And when I do, I'm going to give the springs to my daughter who's going to marry Othniel because he take, took risks for the Lord in getting what God had for him. So that's just how i i see that there's more to it but i just think that uh in other words i'm saying that the dna is within us for taller human beings like the dna even like ripley's believe it or not there's probably someone on this planet that's probably over eight feet right now and there are very small human beings on this planet too just google ripley's believe it or not right but not the national Enquirer. don't get confused okay but like you know that's part of what circuses were like the variations of humanity and and even um in many ways, deformities from the fall of humanity as well. The Anakim were real people that came from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They're in the DNA of the line of humanity that came through the flood. And they're in the land. They're in the land during the time of Abraham, and they're in the land when the land was conquered, and they're in the land even 300 years after it was conquered because Samson had to fight giants uh, as well in his time. The Philistines had giants. Excuse me, David had to fight giants and that's 500 years after going to the land. So David's fighting giants around 1,000 B.C. So I just find it hard to believe those are half-bred fallen angels and human beings. But those people that really like to get into this stuff. It doesn't matter to me. It just, God, humanity brought judgment on themselves apart from anything. I just, I just believe that it, humanity is incredibly evil. And all you have to do is watch any series on World War II and World War One to figure that one out. Incredibly evil. And we don't need fallen angels to help us to be evil. We're pretty good at it on our own, if you will. And I don't say that facetiously. Like Jesus said, unless those days have been shortened, no flesh would make it through. And the end of this age, when it comes to an end, before the Lord establishes his kingdom, if the Lord doesn't come when he comes, humanity would just annihilate itself. It's been so close. You know, my dad was in the Cuban Missile Crisis. He was on a ship with the 1st Marine Division headed for Cuba as a captain, getting instructions on where they're going to be nuked when they hit the beach in Cuba. To this day, he says, it's way more scary than Vietnam or the Korean War, where he saw major combat in both. He said the Cuban Missile Crisis was the most terrifying thing. And that book I read, uh, One Minute to Midnight. This historical record of what went on behind the scenes of the Cuban Missile Crisis is unbelievable how close this planet was to just blowing itself up and not even being around, but God restrained it. God restrained it. He catches the wise and own craftiness, and he's been restraining since the flood. He's promised never to give a flood again, which we'll get to in a different night, but God restrained it. But there's going to be a day when he does not restrain it, and we'll be coming in glory with Jesus to rule and reign with him. Now we read on. This is the genealogy of Noah, verse 9. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So corruption and violence. It's our world. It's your children's world. It's our grandchildren's world. Corruption and violence the only the thing is though you look at World War I and World War II there was so much corruption and violence and Iron Curtain you know the Cold War and what the Soviets were doing and even what things our government did and stuff like that but it's also out in the open now you know what I'm saying like the corruption and violence is just so out in the open in the pluralization of our planet and the multimedia of that pluralization you can just see that the thoughts and the intents are only evil all the time and if it weren't for the church we'd go right over the edge to the abyss but praise the lord for the church for you tonight for the body of christ tonight noah was a just man perfect in his generations all that god would say with us that we are just women just men mature and above reproach in our generation it's a good goal to wake up tomorrow it's a good goal to bed tonight go to bed it's a good goal to go to bed tonight and say lord help me wake up tomorrow and walk with you and be just in my generation in grace and humility in meekness and love and power of the holy spirit you see it's never about the corruption of the people around us it's about the choices that we make because it still comes back to the individuals noah was a just man that's individual regardless of what was going on in the entire planet noah was a just man and he found favor he found grace in the eyes of the lord Verse 13, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark covered inside and outside with pitch and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds, after their kind... Of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing on the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself all food that is eaten, you shall gather it for yourselves, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So God commissioned Noah to build the ark. God's going to save humanity through Noah. God's going to save the animal kingdom through Noah. And humanity, the planet, is going to get a second start in a whole different kind of world. coming out of that primeval world with that mist and that perfect kawaii type of temperature into an ice age. And, oh, man, there's a whole different world that that unfolded in those coming centuries that came after they got off the ark in the post-flood world. But there were humanity. There were the sons of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And we'll get to it soon enough, how they spread out over the planet and the different regions they went to in all parts of the world. Every continent can trace its descendants to one of those three sons of Noah. But God commissioned them to do it. And I I do want to draw your attention before we go our way tonight to this phrase. God made a statement to them, the end of all flesh has come before me. Just try and wrap your mind around that. What if the Lord said that to you tonight? The end of all flesh has come before me. It'd certainly sharpen your vision on what you're living for, wouldn't it? And he said, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So he told him what to do. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. He was alive with purpose. Just like Adam was in the garden to tend the garden, Noah had purpose, he had meaning. This generation likes to say he was on mission. He had a mission, he had a purpose. Every human life, once that person is committed to Christ, has a divine purpose in Christ in what we're called to do. And what I really like about verse 15 is, then God says, and this is how you shall make it. So God calls us, and he gives us the purpose, and then he says, now this is how you're going to do it. Like, I'm calling you to this, and then this is how you're going to do it. Like he doesn't just leave us hanging, this is how you're gonna do it. Like God wants to have his fingerprints over our life. He wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him, as we read about in Chronicles. And wherever he's placed us and called us to do something, he's gonna show us how to be fruitful for him in that place. When it's going well, how to keep it going well. When there's um, conflicts and difficulties and obstacles, He is going to show us how to overcome those things and work through those things and to accomplish. Because like it says in the New Testament, he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And since we're his workmanship, and he's able to do above all that we could think or ask for his glory in his church, we can be confident whatever he's really calling us to do in our life as we're under his lordship, whatever direction he's leading us in, he's going to guide us and equip us to do it. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide me as a pastor. He's going to guide you in your life. He's going to guide me as a husband. He's going to guide me as a grandfather. I feel like God's been giving me some fresh vision on being a grandfather lately. Actually, it's a new, new stewardship. I'm still kind of getting used to it. All I can think is how did we ever do four kids? When all three grandkids are in the house, I'm like, how did we ever do four kids? How did we do that? I get so tired and like I tap out in 15 minutes with just one grandkid. Like, how do we do four? We just did it, right? Let the reader understand. But he's calling us to things and opportunities, and he's gonna show us how to do it. Luke started a new job at GCU. Like student recruiters, helps people line up everything so they can transfer out of high school or whatever and go to Grand Canyon University and how you do that, what kind of tuition you're paying, what kind of scholarships you might get. So he's got the new job. He represents Grand Canyon University where he graduated. And he's like, off he goes in the morning with his tie on to go do this and do that and all these schools in Orange County and these principals and Mr. Wu over there at Calvary Chapel High School and he's he's doing his thing. But see, he's called to do something and he's waited a long time for this job and God's going to show him how to do the job. How to do it. Like he's going to show us. How are we going to do this? God's shown him how to be a dad. He's shown him how to be a husband. He's good at both. And he wants to grow at both. Now, he hasn't called us to build a 400-foot-long boat, 450-foot-long boat, three stories high, and you know, 75 feet wide. Last time I taught Genesis, I did all the background with Institute for Creation Research, and they proved without even the miraculous being involved how you could put every species in this ark, all the food, the extra clean animals for sacrifice afterwards. They do all the math. They're smarter than me. They got it all figured out. People reproduce the ark. There's a full ark in the Netherlands. There's another full ark in Kentucky. It's like, this is massive. The Bible makes it very clear it's a global flood. We'll get into that in the coming weeks. But I just love the simplicity of it. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God said, It's over for your neighbors. You're going to build an ark, and this is how you're going to do it. And isn't that pretty much all of us, our walk with the Lord? You find grace this is what you're going to do, and I'm going to show you how you do it. So grateful for the Lord's personal touch in our lives. So grateful. We're going to learn a lot from Noah in the coming weeks, but tonight we just know at a very desperate time in a world we can't understand, at, at the crossroads for human history that was just so dark, so sinister, and so evil, much like we might feel about our time, that he's a hero, and his wife was a hero, and his children were heroes as were are his daughter-in-laws and through that building the ark he's in hebrews 11 because through faith he built that ark for the saving of himself and his family and that's something we can lay hold of in our own lives as we think about our world that we're in our calling who we share it with and the stewardships around us so be encouraged when it's darkest in human history that's when the light shines brightest so we'll just keep shining and keep living by faith and trusting that the Lord is on the throne, for he does see all things, and we'll do our best to bring him pleasure and joy, as opposed to sorrow and grief. Amen.